Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhower. And I'm Gideon Hill. And what a fun-filled show we have for you this evening. I mean, I am buzzing after tonight. I'm wearing red in honour of it as well. So many guys, including Penta, was bust open in the the all-out pay-per-view by AEW. And that was the best four hours I have spent this weekend, I've got to say. And very much money well spent. But we will talk a little bit, I'm sure, about that as the show goes on. We're also going to talk about the other event that took place on Sunday night, which was Canada going down to the US, a repeat of the War of 1812. This time, though, the honours were even. We'll talk about that in part three. We've also got a great interview to bring you with interim Whitecaps head coach Vanny Sartini, who is now unbeaten two for two from his two games in charge. And we'll be talking about that most recent game. A great win, a come-from-behind victory. You know how much I love those. Against Austin FC at Saturday BC Place, that's all still to come, but it's a weekend show, so you know what that means. We're going to kick it off by opening up Steve Pander's box. Yes, the box of cars that he gave Zach and me as Christmas presents. Amazingly, we still have a lot of cars left to open. I think we'll get through this this year. I'm sure sure the listeners really, really want us to get through this year. We'll rattle through these ones tonight. For anyone that doesn't know... Steve gave us a box of 2011 Upper Deck Trading Cars. We're opening a pack a week. It's the 10th year anniversary of the Whitecaps getting into MLS. I haven't had all my Whitecaps guys out the packs yet. I've had 13 doubles. Zach's had zero. Let's see how this week goes on. Turns out the last pack we opened, I didn't have any doubles. I thought I did, so so that's a plus. So let's get on with it. Very quickly, we'll rattle through these. Yeah, some similarities to 2011 to this year too. Fired coach... Mm. Well, but then we're playing Better well results after the fired yeah. coach, yes. Yeah. Right, I'll start things off. I've got DC yeah. United defender. I don't know who he is. JJ, not Adams, but Julius James. Oh, he played for Toronto uh, oh. earlier, yeah. Um, Columbus, yeah. Oh, yeah, one year, 2008. I have a, f- a fullback uh, who will go on my played in Vancouver for a bit, Paige, um, from the LA Galaxy, Sean Franklin. 
I've got a couple of Colorado Rapids coming up. I'll, I'll do them both together. Midfielder, Jamie Smith. And a guy... I didn't like when he played against us, but he's the kind of guy, if we'd had him up front, I would have loved him. Connor Casey. Oh, yeah. Bald, part of the bald brigade. Yeah, one of those kind of really robust guys that I, I love putting it about a bit. I have a guy who is a midfield forward and should have been good at hold-up play, but I can't remember. It's Chicago Fire's Logan Paws. Oh. Followed up by... You want me to do a quick yeah. rapid fire? Yeah, do two uh, more. Goalkeeper, I think is or was in the league, I think, last year. It's uh, He had some kind of... He lost an organ or something um, and recovered. It's uh, FC Dallas's Chris Seitz. Yeah, Chris Seitz. Oh, well, at least he didn't lose his sight, so that, that's one thing. We've Which got a, organ? I know, I, we'll have to look that up. I thought he had a bone marrow transplant or something. Anyways, hmm. I don't know. I, I, I trust Gideon's knowledge, to, to be honest, but there we go. Uh, Columbus Crew forward, Emilio Renteria. I remember him vaguely. I uh, Kirk is calling this the Chris Pack, I think. I have New England Revolutionary, Revolutionary New England Revolution's Chris Tierney. Yeah, he's not a revolutionary, otherwise he might have been involved in the Capitol Hill riots, so we don't want to accuse him of that. Talking of the Capitol Hill riots, they were in D.C., and I've got a D.C. United player and a league veteran. It's Dax McCarty. I have uh, one-time Toronto FC centre-back, I believe, from Philadelphia Union, Danny Califf. Well, my last card. He's wearing a different jersey from the team that we all remember him from. If I was to go... Stephen Lenhart. Nice. Krusty the Clown himself. Yeah, two strikers not very many people liked. My last one, and uh, this keeps me on the uh, all-new cards streak, is Defender from the... Uh, Salt Lakers of the Real variety, Robbie Russell. Oh, interesting. So we rattled through those tonight. No one really super exciting. Dax McCarty, though, is like a, a legend of MLS. He's one of those kind of veterans. I wouldn't have yeah. minded him. I, I have that card. I have the card. Oh, your other card was good there at the beginning. Who was your first one? Oh, no. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Baldman. He's a, he was Connor pretty... Casey, yeah. Yeah. He played in the Bundesliga. I, I, will, I wouldn't call him a legend. I would call him an ultra legend, maybe. Hmm. Ultra clean. Oh, yeah, Connor you know, Casey was with Borussia Dortmund. In comparison Dortmund. to, like, ultra-clean sheet. Not, he wasn't at Dortmund. Yeah. He was at Mainz. Was well, he at well it says Dortmund on the back of the card. Huh. I don't remember his time at Dortmund. I don't even remember he was in Germany, but then I, I don't follow that lower league football. So Anyway, let's, yeah. let's get on to a league that's way above that. Major League Soccer. That's what you're all here for. In this first part, we're going to look at the Whitecaps' latest win. How nice is it to say that? Ten in a row, ten in a row, hello, hello. Yes, another win. We're unstoppable. It's Fortress BC Place. Horrible first half, an inspired second half. And we'll, we'll start off with, with getting Gideon's thoughts on this one. Now, to me, obviously, lots of hyperbole straight off the bat. These are the kind of performances from teams that are playoff bound. Finding that fighting spirit when you need it. And I think the the fact that you have a, a strong bench as well definitely plays into it. And to be fair to Marco Santos, I don't think this re result would happen if he was still in charge, given 
sometimes the planning of substitutions. So I think full credit to Vanny Sertini, but I don't know what was said in the locker room. I don't know if they all got sat on the electric chair for five minutes and maybe got some charge or something, but well, the... well Flor- Florey and Jungworth gave us a hint, but I don't want to yes. this show. I didn't want to say that again. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, besides what, you know, what Florey and Jungworth said and, and just the way they came out in the second half, you know, you're, you're happy for the team and the way they, they, you know, took on us the second half right away and the, the substitution of Dabar Caicedo really gave them a jump uh, in the in the game. Yeah. I, I'm saving all my expletive episodes for when I speak to Flo later on because I think there's <laughs> going to be a few F-bombs dropped in that. But I mean, that that's fair to say, Steve. I genuinely think this might not have happened uh, if MDS had been in charge because Vanny was not afraid to just blow things up, change formations, put people in positions at times. Let's be honest, we were kind of thinking, what the hell is going on? These guys are all over the place. But, I mean, it worked. Yeah, it was a little extra bit. The, the, the thing is, for me, this game was like the more things changed, the more things stayed the same. They still had that horrible first half. Yeah. They gave up a goal just going into halftime. They were like six seconds away from 45 minutes being without giving up a goal in that first half. Um. So, but there, that, that was, and, and, Mark DeSantos would get them going in the second half. They might not, they usually get a draw or they might look, they'll look better, but they wouldn't get over that two goals to get the, the back, the win. Yeah. Game. He definitely wouldn't that, have mixed his, his lineup yeah, and stuff. And those, the and those way. minor, and while it seems like major changes, they're really more minor tw- uh, twerks there that, uh, that get that extra goal. And I think that was, that's where you see it. Like when you see, um, uh, uh, right back, Christian Dahomey crossing the ball into the box on in an open play. O'Hara for Eric Godoy, center back. Uh, you know something's going on in that game. Well, he was on the he's at right wing back, and then he switched to left wing back. And before yeah. the goal, he had a horrendous cross with his left foot. But the one he yeah. put for the goal was amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it was like, oh, like, like, where, where are we? What, what's going on here? Well, th- there was times that I really did not know what formation we were going with and who was where but i mean it worked obviously it confused yeah, austin <laughs> yeah it's, it's, austin's it's, like i don't know what we're defending against here let's just let's just go with the flow i mean it's, 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 it's like when it's like that fifa 21 uh, fifa game glitch when you make the substitutions but you, you didn't actually put them in those spots and you have to go back and the starting menu and reorganize everything this is why i'm bad at fifa i never make subs yeah and that's why my forward usually ends up playing right back Yes, yeah, you were talking about when you when you change from like uh, balance to attacking or ultra attacking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you don't realize that you forgot you have to change the actual players around. Yeah, well, you, you can do that in the game. You don't just chase after the ball like a dog in the park. That's what I do. This Definitely is going to go not. wrong with FIFA. I obviously need you guys to give me some tips. But I mean, Zach, this is the kind of fight that playoff teams in the past that we've seen. Teams like Seattle, who went from nothing and climbed the table in the later run of the season. And, I mean, let's make no bones about it. This was a must-win game. And oh, yeah. the way that the results went and how tight everything is just now and the 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 number of teams that the, the White Caps can realistically catch, and we'll come to that towards the end, is probably three right now. So you've like there's very little, little room for error. But when you've shown that fight, that is, I don't want to say what champions are made of because that's getting way, way ahead, but that is what playoff <laughs> contenders are made of. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things that that, uh, that we can take from this this 2021 season, I think, as a whole. And and, and even it's continued under Vanny Sartini so far 
is that they do not give up um, and they keep, they keep battling and they keep, they keep fighting. And I think you saw some of that earlier in the year and got them draws and stuff. And I think with the, with the additions of, you know, Ryan gold in particular, and with how the, I think the changes that you guys have talked about that the, the, the interim coach has made has given them even more, um, more conviction about going out and, 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 and no, and more confidence knowing that they can go out and get the, mm. get, get the win and not just a draw or, or whatever. But um, yeah, it, it, I think if, if, for those who love the Vancouver Whitecaps, there are a lot of really encouraging signs. Now Gideon, that's the glass half full take on things. I would say to the glass half empty could be these were two really bad teams that the White Cats have played for different reasons. RSL missing some guys and just looking out of sorts last week. Austin. There was times in that first half that we made Austin look world beaters and that they were like MLS Cup contenders. Yeah, and I think it, it was interesting last week the game against RSL like boils down to two new coaches, like recently fired coaches replaced by interns and you know, I think that game was a bit of a, a one-off in regards to the scoring and you weren't sure how RSL was going to set up. But this game, I think the front line of Dominguez and um, Drew UC definitely scared me. Um, there are two obviously designated players and Pochettino as well. So there's three DPs that, you know, could do some damage and they definitely, you know, made it look like they were, you know, David Beckham, Robbie Keane, you know, Landon Donovan at one point. So, um, that was definitely concerning. The defending in the first half was far from ideal, but um, yeah, it's Austin at times has looked very poor this year, but they've also had some good results like beating Portland earlier on 4-1, I think it was in the year at Q2 Stadium in, in Texas. So yeah, I think they, RSL they destroyed was, Portland in that yeah, one. RSL was definitely an easier game, but I think uh, Austin gave it a little bit more, made it more, more difficult than it should have been, but full credit to the Caps to, to get three points. And the thing is, defensively, the, the Whitecaps were really down to the bare bones in this. Injury, absences, fullbacks in particular, there wasn't a, a lot to pick from. Ranko had taken a knock during the week. Thankfully, Godoy was good to go. And we'll talk about Godoy a bit later on, but for me, he was immense. The, the Whitecaps' defence, though, Steve, at times in that first half, they were all over the place. And... Austin, they had their chances, you felt it was coming, the goal eventually came from a lovely little chip, Driussi, totally unmarked header, and it, yeah. I mean, it's shocking, it's not the first time that we've given up a goal like that, and it's always, we seem to just leave the dangerous guys wide open, don't know and, and why. Is, yeah, and the thing is, you guys were mentioning, you are mentioning Godoy being immense, but Godoy was the guy that let that guy go. He, it was like he's playing zonal marking in an open play, uh, uh, defending. Like what was going yes. on there? Well, like, that that was something. Man. When we when we hear from Vanny in the next part, Vanny's very big on zonal marking. Yeah, but zonal marking, oh, fine on a corner is fine, but that was open play. Mm. You gotta you gotta you gotta identify where the guys are and and mark them like get closer to them and and pinch in. There is zonal marking, but come on, man, you don't just stand in a spot and let other people find their locations to head the ball in with a free header it was it was the easiest goal anybody could have got there i don't know whether he just felt there was somebody behind that was going to get to it or whether yeah. someone going to track the run or the what, austin but... player <laughs> yes the austin player was... 
And and then the other the other guy behind him, I don't know who I can't remember who I can't recall who that was. He was basically had somebody behind Gashbar. him. Yeah, Gaspar had somebody behind him and in front of him, so he didn't know who to take either. So well, Gaspar was like, dreadful. Yeah, are you ta- you see, you're talking about the goal, right? Yeah, the goal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think we need to talk about Gaspar a little bit. Yeah, because but, Gashbar, but I understand Gaspar is like in in the video, he's a little bit he's in default because he doesn't pick up the right guy. But who who how was he supposed to find out who is he supposed to mark? If he goes for the guy closer to the net. Then he's leaving the guy behind him open at the far post. He's he's in a no man's land at that point because Godoy is giving not marking anybody in the box. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not talking just specifically about that play. I'm talking about on the on the whole because you're right, Steve. Yeah. Let's leave the on the whole. Let's talk about the goal though. That's okay. Where the... But okay, but on the goal though, also, yeah, Gaspar's performance I think in the first half is really important because because he he had a, he had one or two clearances I think that were helpful or whatever, um, but. He was he was really poor in that first half, and actually to, to the goal, the thing that I went back and, and watched a little bit. If you go back to the beginning of the forty fourth minute, so when the clock reaches forty three, the thing that it's it's almost two minutes before the goal, but the thing that like leads up to it is there's this simple ball that's passed to uh, to Gaspar on the on the wing, and he like takes his eye off it or something and lets it go out into or hits his foot. He doesn't control and goes into touch. And from that moment, Austin uh, has possession and they begin to attack. They get a chance. They win a corner. Uh, then uh, then the, the goal comes, I think, off, uh, off the second phase of the corner. Like the ball gets cleared out and they come back in and score. It was like he, he started this bad series of phases of play for the Whitecaps that was just like so reckless and so... Uh, I know I've heard people say different things about his performance in the game, but it was it it was like seemingly unprofessional. Like it was, it's such a a poor poor level that it was. It well, was when you consider shocking. what you were expecting him to be when he came into the team, yeah, and oh, yeah, like he's gone way down the pecking order behind Javine Brown, and this was a chance yeah, but, for him to suddenly show, hey, look, I could be one of your fullbacks. Not on that, yeah, but uh, but the thing is, he's more of an. Attacking fullback too, but I agree with that. That's a poor play. But you have other teammates that could get you out of that mess as well. And you got uh, Bikel, who I know is not nor- normally a fullback, but he let his but he let his man in the open field get right by him, no defending at all, and that's kind of started that go- run up to the goal as well. So there's a there was a lot of mistakes to go around. And yeah, for for me, like again, I'm not I'm not harping it. He scored the goal. He made up for his mistake. But Godoy needs to know somebody's behind him. That's a center back's job to get in close and make it difficult for somebody to head the ball in. This, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't disagree with you there. Did anyone else find it awkward? I, know I was talking about uh, it was came out of our conversation that we were having during the game or before the game. Did anyone find it awkward that um, you, they took Bikel out of the middle of the field, someone who's been so inf- influential for them there, instead of putting Godino, who I know hasn't maybe not match fit yeah. in there long and that, but a natural right back mm. or a natural fullback at right back or left back I, instead. Cause, yes cause they were also no, seen, because when Bikel played also missing, there, he was excellent in the past. Yeah. yeah he was played there in LA galaxy. I think he really was year, last year and he was incredible. Oh, yeah. No, no I'm, I'm, I'm not saying he's bad, bad at right back, but he's been so influential in the middle of the park. Yeah. Steve, I think, I think to your, your ongoing or ongoing discussion about the white caps in MLS, He's been one of those players that has helped. He hasn't been maybe the answer, but he has been one of the most 
the biggest contributors of being a midfielder who helps yeah. protect the back four. And I think yep. they were, I think that was missing in this in that first half drastically. Sure. I mean, they were one down at half time. They'd had one shot in the whole half, whereas Austin had had seven. And that's the eleventh time this season they've gone in at half time trailing. And yeah, it's great that they turn it around in the second half and it makes for, for great entertainment for the fans and great viewing for the folk at home and you don't want to turn off because you know what's happening. It just it doesn't feel sustainable, Gideon. And I I don't even know why now. It's like MDS struggled to put his finger on it. It's obviously happening with Vanny as well. I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how they how they stop it or what's even causing it. I, I love watching entertaining games and I you know more importantly I love seeing teams teams win. But if you're playing like that in the first half, like you're so lucky to get three points out of the end of the game. Like you yeah. don't see Seattle or Portland or LA or you know, insert any Eastern Conference great team here like New England play, you know, that poor in the first half and still be at the top of the table. Like they play full 90 minutes and if they don't play 90 minutes they lose the game like which they only have a few times this season so um to put in perspective like if you're playing even a team like austin or a bottom table team like rsl and you play that way not every time you're going to win 4-1 and 2-1 like there's those off chances where you won't win those games so i think they're having some some tough games coming up here with portland in the schedule and i think they play uh, colorado next week so yeah i it's it's concerning considering how bad they're playing in the first half, but able to, to escape points. So I don't know what the, the exact reason is, but it's definitely concerning. And it was the old-fashioned proverbial game of two halves. Second half, I mean, what, what a team, what performance that they put in that second half. Godoy with a bicycle kick, which was like, wow, that, that was stunning. That started things off. They were still giving possession away. That didn't start things off, Michael. You're forgetting to mention your favorite thing. Oh no, the the cross come shot was after. No, 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 no. no. Somebody getting that. pulled off at halftime. Oh, that that There's was so many that, good things. That was really what changed the game. I think. That, yes, Caicedo came on at halftime for Gaspar. Yeah, and 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 the, and the formation changed. I mean, do you think he deserved to be pulled off at halftime or just substituted? Well, whatever the case is, it was a happy ending for the Whitecaps. It game. certainly was. Then we got the Godoy bicycle kick. Then we got my other favourite thing, Ryan Gold, a Scottish, a good old Scottish cross cum shot. And you, you can't beat those. It would be nice no, if it hadn't been tipped on at the bar, but still. The only disappointing part was Godoy's goal not coming 30 seconds earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd have had our whole bingo card complete. Yep. That was on Gold's right too. <laughs> like, yeah, he can shoot like that on his left and his right. Like, yeah, think, and anyways, score, scores oh. headers that he's never scored. Yeah. He scored one oh, header I mean, previously, and yeah, that was not a shot. He was a mishit cross, right? Like, no one thinks he actually shot, right? Uh, I don't know. I no. thought he was the way yeah, that what, what, goalie was out of the. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> look, look at his foot and look what he's trying. It's him. Yeah. It's a no, mishit cross. It, it was a cross. Before we get to the the goal, let's let's talk about Brian White. Again, not another great performance from him, but this time he didn't make up for it by scoring. He really should have just passed the hour mark when horrible defending. Oh. I don't. I mean, Austin, that pass back was like suicidal. Yeah. And then White pounced on it, 
Like, what, what, what did you say last week? His feet are like what? Uh, fire extinguishers. Right. right. Um, Brad Stuver, for me, is one of the MVPs this season for playing on a really bad team. Imagine how bad they would have been if it hadn't been for Brad Stuver this year because he he's been absolutely exceptional. And that double save that he pulled off, the one from White, the follow-up from Gold, absolutely great stuff. I will admit, when that happened, it did cross my mind off, maybe this isn't going to be our day after all, but White surely should have buried that. Oh, he needed to. I mean, that's the kind of goal you, your striker needs to finish. When they get played in by the, the, the opposing defender for a clear-cut breakaway, you have to finish those chances. doesn't matter. I don't care how. I don't care if you chip them. I don't care if you go around them. I don't care if you, you know, are clinical with what he was trying to do in terms of, you know, uh, placing a shot past him. You you have to score there. It, it's. T- I mean, I don't know if you've used fire extinguishers, but it's tough sometimes to get the, the holes out. So, I mean, it was tough for him to, to manage. It's tough to control that. when the water's coming yeah, in. Yeah, definitely. But then the Whitecaps get back level, 70th minute. Controversial if you read some of the Austin timelines on social media, because Beesler was off undergoing concussion protocol. So they were down to 10 men and the substitution came after the goal, but they were very unhappy that they couldn't get it done before the goal. And the Whitecaps took full advantage. Godoy heading home at a homey cross. I felt the goal was coming, but what a header. And that's it- centre-back scoring two weeks in a row. There's no mandate on that though, right? In terms of like waiting? No, that, that has to get diagnosed off the pitch is my right. understanding. And so Pro cl- clarified afterwards that he was off going through the assessment. So you can't make the substitution as a concussion protocol until it's been confirmed. And then there was also confusion why the Whitecaps made four sub things windows in the second half. Yeah. It's because if a concussion protocol is used, and I had totally forgotten this, yeah. Until as soon as someone reminded me afterwards, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right, because we talked about it on the show. But if the other team makes a concussion protocol so that it can't be used for faking purposes just to use another sub, the opposition, if they want, can make Get a sub at the window. same time. So yeah. it, it worked out great all round. But what what a good cross to start with Gideon and a great header from Godoy. Yeah, it's funny. A couple of things, like, I know... Um, Fanny Sertini was asked about Dahomey playing right back and he's like oh no he was a right wing back and mm. on the goal like it looked like he was a left winger like he was so far up and as Zach mentioned just a terrible cross a few minutes before then this time just a perfectly hit cross and couldn't believe my eyes that Eric Godoy was up the pitch almost seemingly yeah. as a striker so I couldn't believe it was him I thought it was Brian White getting up but yeah full credit and I think Godoy deserved that he's obviously been you know struck out of luck with injuries this year and and in and out of form I think Michael, I messaged you, you right, right after when the, the when the really poor cross went in from Dahomey, and I was like, he should not be playing on the on the left. Um, and then he put in this beautiful cross. But the, the yeah, thing with Godoy, Godoy gets the ball and he moves up the field, and he sort of plays like I think like a one-two with uh, with gold with gold, and that's why I think he's like I'm going to go. He was like I, he decided okay, gold's got the ball. I'm going to go forward because there's going to be a chance here or whatever. But then the, the play goes all the way out to the left and he pauses for a moment. And instead of going back and getting, you know, de- his defensive positioning all sorted out, he, he just, for whatever reason, just says, I'm going to keep going. And, and he obviously, 
you know, makes a nice little run and gets a really, really nice header on a great, great cross. So, uh, yeah, he, he wasn't perfect defensively, but really well done to score, score, uh, to score from Eric Godoy. I think after that went in, it really did feel like there was only going to be one team that went on to win it. Although Austin, after both the Whitecaps goals, had chances at the other end almost immediately as the defence switched off. But Casado had a chip that was cleared basically off the line, not quite on the goal line. And then Dahomey blasted over. But then Casado got the winner, seven minutes to go. A shot by Gold, which Stuver, I think, should have done better with. Just parries it straight into the path of Caicedo. He's not going to miss from there. Tucks it home. 2-1. Uh, I, I think on the basis of the second half play, Gideon, I think it was deserved. But Caicedo just showing that anticipation of what you need to do and be in the right place at the right time, which is what Brian White does. But this time it was Caicedo that, that finished that. And I, I think worthy winners in the end, but only just yeah, and I, I, I forget who it was wrote the match preview this week. I think it was you, either you or Jake McGrail, but said something was said about Brian White and how he scored three goals and, you know, yeah, might not be the sexiest of goals, but yeah. he scored. And what strikes me in this goal is that he creates it. Like, he's not, you know, a, a Cavalier type striker where he's hold, always holding up. He's always going to work for the ball. And this time, he, you know, gets out of the corner. Goal gets a great shot. Again, Stewart, you know, Stewart's MLS goal, you expect him to go and grab that one, not parry it right into the, the path. And, Again, Austin shambles defensively, dealing with the rebound. But yeah, full credit to Caicedo, who really changed the game Like coming on in the second half. I don't think anyone disagrees with me saying that, with yeah. Caicedo just coming on and, and being exceptional. So Yeah, I think he was definitely one of the, the, the game changers. Do you, do you feel it was a worthy win in the end, Steve? Yeah, I think they deserved it. Like you got to play who is in front of you. It's it's. Um, I'm getting kind of tired. Like RSL, sure they're missing players, but uh, Whitecaps are missing players too uh, on that game. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. you are certainly down so, to a bare bones defense for that. So and even this game, like it's it's it, 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 like MLS. Anybody, honestly, there's very few times where any like there's a clear favorite in a game. Like in in this season, maybe you got New England. Um, uh, Seattle and Kansas City. Other than that, it's almost been anybody can win on any given day. And apart from maybe FC Cincinnati, yeah, or like there there are exceptions. Inter Miami maybe too. Um, oh, um, they're they're but, doing well, your boys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, they beat Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but but overall, like this is uh, you, you got to play who's in front of you, like. And 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 this time it was an Austin team that had has moments in the past year, but obviously in this game they they at times they look good at times they didn't and Vancouver was able to take advantage of that. Yeah, well that is our thoughts on the game. Let's just hear a little bit now from the gaffer Vanny Sartini, just with some of his post game thoughts. First of all, congratulations on the win, but also it very much a, a game of two halves. Not for the first time this season, very flat first half performance, but what a performance in the second half. Coming out, amazing intensity, lots of energy, and it felt like they were the only team that was going to get the win in the end. Yeah, it's true. You're totally right. Uh, I think that... Uh... In the first half, they outplayed us, and in the second half, uh, we did them to we did it to them. Uh, we made a couple of adjustments uh, tactically because the 
uh, we our press in the first half wasn't wasn't good. So that's the reason why that we couldn't win the ball and they had possession for a lot. And they and they are a team that uh, they want to have the ball a lot and they they want to they exploit these gaps when the the other team is not very well organized. We make those adjustments and the, the guys in the second half were flying and. I think we deserved the win at the end. We had much more chance than them in, in total. Just talking about the adjustments, it was, some of them seemed a little strange. Some guys maybe playing not in their, their familiar positions. I mean, obviously it, it worked. It has felt a while since we've kind of had that kind of dynamic ability to change things up in, in the middle of the game. Is this just something that you like to do? Well, no, no, I don't like it to do because it means that we're down in the score. So it's better that if we're winning, because like, uh, so. But when when it's necessary to do it, we we need to do it. And uh, the way that we wanted to play, well, we actually we weren't playing the way that we wanted to play in the first half, and so we needed to keep it, uh, I would say, easier for the player and uh, uh, to. At the starting position in a different way, and uh, luckily went well. Uh, just to further that, to Michael there, did my eyes deceive me, or was uh, Christian Dahomey playing it right back to uh, start the second half? Uh, was actually right wing back. The idea was to go to kind of a back three with Eric, uh, Michael Baldissimo, and uh, um, uh, Florian on the on, on the left, uh, with Michael starting a little like five meters higher and uh, Christian and Gianni at the beginning as a wing back and then Christian played basically the second half as a wing back the entire half like uh, I don't remember when we make the change to put Pat in but he played like the first 50 minutes on the right and the last 30 minutes on the left of course it's an emergency situation because Christian is such a gifted player up front that we like him uh, if I'm not mistaken he's our top goal scorer so we, we like him to be Close to the goal, but uh, when it's needed, is uh, he has also a big heart, and uh, so he can make that role to be up and down on the on the side. Also, further to uh, uh, Michael's question, there, uh, uh, Eric Godoy, Eric Godoy's goal. It seemed like it was something that was coming. There was a lot of momentum there, and I guess it also helped that uh, Austin only had ten men on the field at that time. Uh, yeah, I actually, I don't know. Probably, yeah, of course, helped, but. Uh, if I have to be honest, even when they were 11, yeah, we, we killed them in the second half. So uh, probably we exploited this, the situation there when, we, when they were 10. But uh, we had, even before, we had uh, the uh, Ryan hit the bar. And uh, after that, uh, good save by the goalkeepers. Uh, one uh, uh, guy that took off the ball from the line, uh, Daho uh, having another big chance and putting the ball uh, over the bar, so I think in the second half we 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 really outplayed them, and uh, uh, ten men on eleven men we deserve to win. Vanny Sartini there, just talking a little bit after that 2-1 win for the Whitecaps over Austin that made it 10 games unbeaten in MLS. Now, I mean, we, we've talked about a few of the players. 
apart from that maybe blip for the goal from Godoy, I thought he was tremendous. He was my man of the match. Second half performance from him at both ends of the pitch I thought was great. But Jungworth impressed as well. The two of them together, I was a bit wary because he'd formed a good partnership with, with Ranko last week, Zach. And I thought, oh, Godoy's just coming in. What, take a little bit of time to get the chemistry? The two of them looked so solid together. And then when Ranko came on to give him those three centre-backs, that looks a very exciting option going forward as well. Yeah, I, I, I too was a little bit concerned about how that would play out. And again, I also thought, Godoy might have been a better choice for right back. Um, but um, I, I think in the first half, as, as awful as the performance was, uh, I think the standout moments for me were a block each from one from uh, Flo and one from, from Eric. And uh, then, yeah, I think I think there's some positive things happening there. Also, later later in the game, speaking of Renko, he made this really nice... Uh, you know, per- precise long ball over the top for for Caicedo to get onto that. Yes. You know, should have been a or could have been a goal if it wasn't clear off the line off a nice little lob from Caicedo. And so, I think there's some encouraging signs again coming out of the the center of the park at the back, especially if they can stay healthy. Yeah, I mean that's going to be the thing in this big push now. What are the the disappointing things for me, Gideon? Though the midfield it did feel a little bit missing in action especially in that first half they just weren't there there was times when there was a quick counter for the white caps and the white caps had three guys going forward but there was seven guys still in the white caps half there was just very little support from the midfield getting up there that they need to remedy that somehow i i know what players they want on the pitch and that limits your midfield options maybe a little bit, but they've got to try and find a way. And I, I still think, obviously, losing Kyle, he maybe didn't see him at his best this season, but he was the kind of guy that you want in there. What do you think the solution is to try and get this midfield to be more dynamic? I think having, as Zach mentioned, Bikel in there really, really adds a lot, in, not just defensively, but offensively. We've seen, you know, he's able to score goals like he did late on in LA against LA and, and Salt Lake. And the way he distributes the ball, I think having him there definitely changes the game. And you're right, like they did sit back a lot and it was disappointing because you want to have as many players for as you can, but they didn't want to commit too many forward and leave the back, you know, so open. So I, there's not one player or fix I think you can do. I think you have to, you know, change player play players comfortably where they are like Bikel and, and midfield and that'll allow whoever, Nowinski, Brown, Gashbar right back, not Gashbar, but Nowinski and Brown anyway, so. I th- there's not one fix you can make. I just think Bikel and, and Baldissimo really do change the game when they're in there together. Um, and I think it was nice to see Jingles on the pitch before Christmas. So, <laughs> I mean, Steve, do you think a 3-5-2 might be the answer to that? Like, if you've got Ranko, Flo and Eric as your back three, and then two wing-backs, Gold kind of in an advanced position, Jingles, yeah. Bikel, Dahomey, and hopefully Kava up front I, i'm okay with either one i think they can go four at the back they can go three at the back um uh, the main issue is having the right midfielders um having bikel in there allows other midfielders to take more chances and move forward and because he's he's a good protector of of the back line so if you're gonna have four at the back just stick bikel in there if you have three at the back, then you may, might not be nece- you not need them on the pitch as much, and then you could put more advancing midfielders like Baldi, Samoa, and Gold, and 
and somebody else like Owusu. So it's just a matter of what they decide to do at the back. I, I, I'm the thing is with Jungworth as well is that he can play a, like a midfield role. He can play the Bikel role in in if you if you decide to go four at the back as well. So you do have options there either way. Let's move on with something else that that made us kind of happy over the the result of this. The Whitecaps were briefly in a playoff place again. That's two weeks in a row that they've toyed with being finishing the weekend in the playoff spots, but they finished just outside. I mean, it's a huge win, as we said. You look at the other results from the Western teams. Portland beat Houston on Friday night very comfortably 2-0. Houston were dreadful. LAFC destroyed Sporting Kansas City. Peter Vermees wasn't happy with a red card for Espinosa. He feels he's being profiled by MLS referees, was his exact wording afterwards. But KC were terrible in that. LAFC deserved winners. RSL, three. Dallas, two. Fantastic match. And RSL had been behind in that, and things were looking good, and a draw would have been nice there. But RSL got the win when they needed it. They had cry latch back, so that helped. But there was no Pepe, right? There was no Pepe for No, he's a Dallas. That was, that's pretty huge for them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Colorado ended up beating San Jose 1-0, so that was good for the Whitecaps in the end as well. And the Caps finished the weekend 8th in the standings, one spot outside the, the playoff picture, one point back of 6th place Portland, who they play this coming Friday, and 7th place RSL. Minnesota are just another point ahead in 5th. LAFC, they're ominously hovering two points behind Vancouver in ninth. So the, the room for error right now is basically nil. So you've got to get these points in the bag at home. We'll just finish this part off. Just Portland's next up on, on Friday. It's Cascadia Cup game, Gideon. Portland's in yo-yo form just now. And they had been struggling, but then they went to Seattle and got that win on the road. They went to Houston and got that win on the road. Can they come to Vancouver and get that win on the road on Friday? I think they'll be confident. I know they, they won't have their full-fledged of fans as they normally do, which usually gives them a boost in Vancouver. So I think they're they're a fun team to watch, and I think they'll definitely cause Vancouver some problems. And I wouldn't be shocked if you know they took a point away, maybe even three from Vancouver in, on Friday's game. It's, it's going to be hard to know what to expect because you don't know where each team is. Like Portland, um, they've, like you said, they've, they've had their ups and downs this year. With the Whitecaps, we don't know who's going to be healthy enough. For yeah, there's that it's, as well because it's like, will like, Javain be good to come back from Jamaica yeah, yeah. and slot or, or in? Max. Well, I mean, I, Max and Lucas. Max will, I mean, Hassel's be fine. fine as well because it's like Vanny said to him, they're both number one goalkeepers. I would prefer Max in there. Yeah, Max is Max is going to be ready to go. He's not going to be starting in the third game. So, I, well, I don't, I don't know because Borian did have a little bit of a, yeah. a groin. I was going well, to say even, tear or pull or tweak or something today. So, I mean, you don't know how that might play out. I thought Max might get this. Th- no, he wasn't. I thought <laughs> I thought Max might get this third game. but I think so, not, too. Not Herman does seem to favor. Game. Yeah, I think Herman obviously loves to, not obviously, but he, he really likes to shuffle the team as he did today. And he wasn't yeah, scared goal- of their opponents. So. Goalkeepers, they, they don't shuffle as much. I was just going to say, like, goalkeepers is an easy position. You could play every single day for the amount of work you do. I, I think, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think Borian only gets taken out if, yeah, Michael, if he's not. If that, not. If that groin is, gets harder. 
Um, yeah. uh, Kava should hopefully be good to go. Is he? Yeah, is he in full training with them and stuff? Do he we know? was before he he flew down on the Thursday morning of the match uh, against Honduras, and he had been in full training the day before. I uh, put UBC with the Whitecaps. It, I mean, sorry to me, it doesn't make sense that he would start. Like he is not match fit. Like he's been out for so long, it would yeah. seem crazy to start him. Um, I could see him on the bench and and having an impact in the game, but I I, I think it would be really strange yeah. to start a player then in that way. But um, Crepo, I think I think if Max is available, I think he starts. Yeah, he's for me is the the big guy that you want to hopefully be able to be good to go right away, and I think he should be able to. I, I hope his confidence isn't smashed like they got smashed. Yes. He did not come on in this one. Oh, that's why they lost. Yeah, but maybe they'll make changes now for the for the next game because of that. <laughs> I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. I I would take a draw from this if we can get up to eleven unbeaten. Take a one all draw, two all draw, that'd be fine. Win obviously would be ideal, but a draw keeps us still in there or thereabouts in a tough game. And the week after against Colorado is going to be a particularly tough one away from home. So. We've got to take something from all the home games. It's basically what it boils down to now. I'm, I'm going to give it 3-2 to Vancouver. I'll go with 1-1 one, one just to, to do that. I'll go 2-0. 1-1. One, one. Same as me. Well, that is it for this part. That is it for the Whitecaps Austin chat, but it's not quite it for our chat about the Whitecaps because we've got our feature interview coming up next with Whitecaps interim head coach Vanny Sartini. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Vanni Sartini, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's a song from an Italian band called They Die, from their 2021 album Deviant Love. They're a post-punk goth band from Italy, and I've played that in honour of new interim Whitecaps head coach Vanni Sertini, He's from Florence, they're from the south of Italy, but this was a band I kind of stumbled across about four to six weeks ago now, all thanks to YouTube's algorithms and recommendations. I do plan to feature them as an artist of the month somewhere down the line as well. Their sound is the sound that I love. It's old school goth, lots of post-punk synthesizers, that kind of Sisters of Mercy mission kind of sound. Love it. Hope you do too. That was a song called That Flame Goes Out. 
But I'll tell you what flame hasn't gone out, and that's the Whitecaps playoff flame. It's still very much alive and flickering after that much-needed win over Austin on Saturday afternoon at BC Place. We covered that match in the first part of the show. For this part, though, I want to bring you our feature interview for this episode. And I got a chance to sit down with the man himself, Vanni Sartini, just to chat about his history and background in football, his philosophy in coaching, and a lot more beside. So go grab a hot beverage of choice and your favourite biscuit, sit back and enjoy our chat with Whitecaps interim head coach, Vanni Sartini. So, delighted now to be joined by the Whitecaps Director of Methodology and current First Team Head Coach, Vanny Sartini. Welcome to the show, Vanny. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Mike. And I, th- I thought for, to, just to make you feel at home, um, I dug out one of my football tops. It's for an English team, Jersey, uh, Jersey Bulls, or an English non-league team. So that it's Kappa, so I thought I'd get an Italian designer yeah, <laughs> yeah, I also dug out a Firenze fridge magnet that I got when I, I visited Florence the one time that I visited Florence which I love as a city it's a, such a beautiful city I'm happy that you like my my home city but uh, I have to be honest it's easy to like it's it's very beautiful you're right I totally agree with you yeah I, I only had a day there to, to explore we're staying at Lake Garda and we decided to to do it's a, about a three-hour drive as you know but um, I, I love Italy it's such a beautiful country I've been there a few times and uh, do, do you miss being back back there well, you know, I missed, uh, of course, I miss the family, I miss my friends, uh, but uh, I'm also enjoying a lot uh, my life here. When I when I decided to 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 to, to go away from Italy six years ago, I, I had a good job there, and uh, I was my career was actually starting very well in in Italy too. But I always had this. Uh, kind of hitch in my skin that I wanted to live abroad and wanted to do uh, something away. So, yeah, I'm, I miss a little the family and friends and, 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 my, and my city, but at the same time, I'm, I'm really happy with the choice that I made. I want to go back with you today and just kind of look at your journey to, to where you are just now, talk about some of your philosophies, just your, your footballing background. So, I mean, growing up in, in Florence, were you a, a Fiorentina fan? Yes, yes, yes. I was a Fiorentina fan. Uh, I, I had season tickets uh, when I was a teenager. Then... Uh, when I got a little older, I had to, uh, even if you don't play in the top league in Italy, you play most of the time at the same times when the first team is playing. So I was playing and uh, uh, because I had my uh, path in in soccer playing, uh, playing in the lower league in Italy. But uh, I remember clearly that the first question after the, the, the 90 minutes was, uh, okay, What's the score of the Fiorentina game <laughs> every time that you were playing? <laughs> I, I, who who did you like? Like who were your favorite players growing up, either at club level or for the, for the national team? Like who were the guys that you admired? 
uh, well, the first one that that uh, that is in my mind is uh, Batistuta, of course. Uh, when I was like uh, again teenager and and even a little older than after that, uh, it was my favorite player, Manuel Ricosta, the goalkeeper Francesco Toldo. If we talk about uh, uh, Fiorentina's uh, player, but I've always uh, uh, I played uh, I played as a goalkeeper. I was a goalkeeper, so of course I had my my goalkeeper favorite, and uh, one of them was uh, a Cameroon goalkeeper, Thomas Ancono. Oh yeah, uh, I I loved uh, Peter Schmeichel too. Uh, when I was a little older, so that uh, some of the players that I really liked when I when when I was growing up and, and as a kid. But uh, in terms of love, let's say of uh, player and also for. Uh, the character that he was and everything, uh, I've always been a great fan of uh, of Eric Cantona when he was in Man United. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, he he was a right character. I mean, when I think of like goalkeepers in Italy, because I'm old, Dino Zoff is the guy that that comes into my head. What was the like? What was your first sort of Italian national team? Like, what era do do you think yeah. of? The first one that I remember, well, actually, one of the first games that I remember is the World Cup final in the 1982 when Italy beat Germany 3-2. Yeah. And uh, they, it basically, I would say, can put as a start, as with my journey with the game, with my love with the game. Uh, I was uh, five years and a half, so, you know, I didn't understand, of course, about the game, but I remember the, the excitement and... Uh, the togetherness and uh, going uh, around the city with the flag after the game and uh, it looked fantastic and so I basically was probably the thing that kicked off uh, the, my love for the game. Yeah, because that, that 82 World Cup, that was the first World Cup that I... Well, I, I remember watching the 78 World Cup, but I was young and I don't fully remember too much about it. But the 82 one was the first one that I really got into. And whenever I think of the Italian national team, I think of that World Cup and I think of Zoff and Marco Tardelli and Diego Rossi and, and like all those, those kind of guys. So, I mean, when you were playing then, what was the highest level that, that you got to as a player? Was it always like non-league in Italy or did you get into to league play? No, I'm, I'm never, I, I, I didn't get to the professional level. My top level was the fifth division. That is the highest non, non-league, uh, non-league uh, uh, playing level. Uh, you know, everyone says every time, yeah, I didn't make it because uh, I was a character. I didn't make it because I got injured. I didn't make it because I wasn't good enough. That's the reason why. <laughs> that's honest. That's pure, that's pure and simple. I was good, a good amateur, but uh, not good as a, uh, to be a professional footballer. So, But I always had this... Uh, that actually drove this uh, passion in me of, uh, of uh, knowing more about the game because I knew even when I was playing that... Uh, I wanted to become a coach. That brings me nicely to the next thing I, I was going to ask you, which was like, when when did you know you, you wanted to become a coach? I mean, you've touched on it there. And your journey to to get into coaching, 
uh, you were obviously involved with some teams in Italy and then you became a national coach educator for the Italian Federation and the American Federation. What, what was it like getting your badges and going through through the coaching process in Italy? Yeah, it was, of course, uh, in Italy, uh, soccer is a religion, basically. And uh, even when you start coaching and you coach at the youth level or at the non-league level, it's taken very seriously, <laughs> to be honest. So even from the start, uh, you feel the pressure. Um, you know, the first team that I coached, uh, it was a, a sixth division theme uh, that uh, I finished playing the year before and I started coaching. And you feel the pressure, even, even if you are in the, at that level. In Italy, it's, uh, it's hard. And, uh, and uh, it was uh, uh, beautiful. And, uh, of course, I think it, it, it made me, because at the end I coached for... Uh, yeah, three, three, four years actually, four season in the in the non league, and uh, I think that uh, it helped me also to see things on uh, on perspective that uh, are helping me now, even even now when in the professional game to to put passion first, first of all, and uh, no matter what, when there's something that uh, you is not going in the way that. Uh, that you want that that, that to go because it, at non-league level, non non-league level, you need to adapt a lot. Uh, you you need to be on top of your game. You need to be uh, the best version of yourself and try to be. Uh, I would say always at the at the again, as I said, the, the best version of yourself as a coach and as a man. Yeah, I I, I love non-league football. I'd watched a lot of it in Scotland. I follow a lot of it in England. I I go out and watch the games here, the amateur games and VMSL and stuff. And to to me, I I just love that level because it's just so raw and it's just so pure and it's away from all the all the bullshit that goes on sometimes at, at yeah. higher levels and stuff. So I mean, you spoke about the itch of coming over to the states and and doing stuff like that. It's a big decision to make. Obviously, I made it as well, changing countries. But what was it about going to work for the American Federation that really, really appealed to you? Well, uh, as I told you, the my life was going well because I had uh, even a lucky uh, bump in my life that uh, I was able to then get through winning a couple of... Uh, uh, championship and uh, then uh, uh, through uh, got job offer on high level. So I was coaching professional in Italy. I was coaching in uh, in the when I left. Actually, I was in the second division in the Serie B. I was at Bari having a contract for them. But uh, again, I always uh, wanted to do life experience and uh, to really uh, enjoy the fact that. Uh, this game can be adored not only to uh, let's say uh, be a be a profession for your passion, but also to experience things that that wouldn't be possible if I wouldn't be involved in soccer. So uh, when the uh, opportunity to work with the U.S. soccer, that uh, of course to go to go in a big country like the the United States and to have a prestigious position because they offered me to be one of the national uh, head. Uh, a coach educator, teaching in the pro license, designing the pro license, being involved with the national team. 
I actually didn't think about it twice, and I said yes. I um, let let's go. So that that was that was uh, that was really a decision that uh, it was easy to do. Uh, also because uh, my wife was on board on that. So because uh, you know when when you move and you know better than me, you change country and you you uh, if you have to move a family and. Uh, uh, my wife was on board. He wanted, she wanted to do the experience too. And uh, so that started our path here. And uh, after two, two years and a half, I had the, the White Cups offer. And uh, here we are. Yeah, I was going to ask, how did your, par- your paths with Mark kind of cross? Like, how did, how did you come on the White Caps radar to begin with? Well, uh, I was uh, like every like everyone that happened in my life. Uh, it's like uh, kind of by chance, and uh, uh, I, that's also the reason why I say to everyone: you need to uh, kind of treat everyone with the utmost respect and try to be the ver- the best version of yourself at, at every time, because you don't know when it's going to be the day that is going to change your life. So. I was in. Uh, I was teaching. I was the instructor of one of the coaches of LAFC when Mark was there uh, as assistant of Bob. So my job was to go through all the uh, MLS club and teach the coaches. So uh, in this particular time, my uh, candidate was Kenny Arena, that was in the staff with Mark. Mark was the assistant coach. Kenny was another assistant. So I had to stay with them twice for a week to like a micro cycle. And in every day I was giving, uh, I don't know, feedback. I was giving presentation to Kenny, talking about tactics. And Mark was very interested on what I was saying. And he asked me a couple of questions. And uh, we went out for dinner a couple of times. We talked football. And uh, that's how we how we met. That's how we met. And that's how uh, the our relationship started. And when he got... Uh, hired by the Whitecaps, uh, he actually called me and said, hey, you really impressed me. I need an assistant that uh, it's going to be kind of keeping on my toes or something. And so would you like to uh, be part of this new project? And that's the how how he went, basically. Well, that, that kind of brings us nearly up to date. Obviously, the, the last week, there's been a lot of turmoil, a lot of upheaval, surprises for some maybe not for, for, for some others I, I spoke to Axel yesterday and he had said this is something that had maybe been on his mind for a while he just didn't know when the time was going to come so I mean you're one week now into into the role as interim head coach how how would you sum up this last week from getting the news to getting this win to now having a couple of days now to actually spend time with the team and try and mold them the way that you want them to to be a lot a lot of uh i would say sensations come to my mind michael because it's like uh at the uh, at the beginning i was i felt really sad to be honest for mark and phil because again they even if i wasn't involved with the first team it was uh uh this season i was for the for for the last two seasons, so I work with them. I I'm their friend, and you know when when one of your friend uh, loses job, uh, you, you you're set basically. That's 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 the so the first that that's the first reaction. The second reaction 
I was totally overwhelmed. I, I, I want to be completely honest. When, when they ask me, hey, you want to take the team? Of course you say yes. But then uh, after 10 minutes, I say, why did I say yes? <laughs> so that's... <laughs> it's, uh, so say, okay, you don't know if you're ready or not. And uh, so the first day was kind of, okay, literally a turmoil. And uh, then I say, okay, we, we try to, we, now we, we have to do the best. And uh, from day two, when, when I stepped on the field and trained and coached the team on the field, train, doing the, doing the um, speech before the training, the pregame speech, the, 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 the game, uh, it actually went very fast. And uh, I, I would say, it felt almost natural because at the end is what I've what I've done for the last 12, 13 years every day. And uh, it was okay. I can say, I can tell to you that the the waiting Saturday for the game, it, it, it was, of course, much different than other, uh, let's say, uh, eve of, of any other game. I was much more nervous. I was much more, uh, I would say, a feeling much, I felt much more the pressure. But then, as soon as the players arrived and I had to do my speech, the tactics on the board and everything, uh, I'm at home again. So I'm, uh, I was, I was okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I can't imagine what that must have been like. I mean, last week, the day before the Pacific game, I was over there. Mark came, sat down at the end of training, we had a chat. I didn't know that was going to be the last time I was going to speak to him as the head coach. And then everything just moved so quick. Likewise, when you had the under-23 team playing Tigers, I was doing the commentary. Never thought for a minute that I would then be talking to you next as a, as the head coach of, of the Whitecaps. But I mean, ultimately... That's why you do your pro license. That's why you go through all these things. I mean, long long term. I mean, never say never. Would you want this job, or is that not really something that's ever been in your plans? Uh, I always say, and I've been a coach educator for a lot of years, and I uh, mentored a lot of coaches. Now I'm doing mentoring for the coaches in. Uh, in the in our academy too, and to every coach always says, "Don't do long term plan." I don't. I think that long term plan in in soccer in football uh, are meaningless. And uh, so, uh, would I would I want to be the head coach of an MLS team or the White Cup? So, the, of course, yes. Uh, it's uh, it's like uh, okay, we're we're working and. Uh, uh, in this industry, and you you want to be, I would say, at uh, the best position possible. Uh, do I really think that is my major objective right now? No, I think that my major objective right now is to do my best for the club, is to do my best for the best for myself and for the player that I have, and to really, it's not it's not just uh, it's not it's just not a sentence for the. For the for the journalist, it's like we are really chatting. Uh, well, okay, it's a, it's a virtual thing, but it's like we are chatting with a beer in our hands now. Yeah, I'm really I'm really looking forward game by game, and I want to uh, try to do do my best. I'm enjoying it a lot, to be honest. I, I I I I would be a liar if I say that I'm not enjoying it. I'm I'm really enjoying it, and uh, I will enjoy it for sure uh, until it lasts. 
Yeah, it was a great start as well, which I think takes a little bit of of the pressure off. I was so delighted for you that you got that win in the first game because you don't get that win and then all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, was it the right decision? Should he be leading the team? So that takes some of the pressure off. But what have you found to be the biggest challenges so far? I know there's some injury worries this week. There's players away. I mean, what have you found the most challenging part of the job so far? Uh, yeah, uh, that's the thing. The, the the most challenging part, the first two, three days, uh, I I gathered the, the leadership groups, the five or six players that are more experienced. And I, I've been very honest with them. I say, hey, guys, I, I'm... I know perfectly that the group is not going to see me as the leader right now uh, because, you know, they, they just throw you there and you, you play the game. So I, I, I was, I, I tried to do the, 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 the most natural thing. It was, Hey, I need your help. Uh, because uh, luckily I know all of them, the guys that have been put with us with more than a year, one year. So uh, that for me, the, the, the main challenge at the beginning, the first two, three days to see, and really to gauge the group if they were following me or not. What you said before is true. The lack that we had a fantastic performance as a first performance, the lack that, uh, of course, made the second week much more easier on that front because now you have the mm, much more self-confidence also too and also much more confidence from the group that say, hey, you know, this guy is not just someone. Maybe maybe we should listen to him. And uh to be honest, it's been a fantastic uh, week, and uh, I really need to to thank the player on how they they worked towards the towards the objective. So I would say that at the moment uh, that was the first kind of big obstacle at the beginning. It seems that it went okay. So I'm I'm touching wood right now, but I think the first uh, the next. Uh, uh, trouble will be when uh, we're going to face something that after a bad performance or maybe uh, when we don't get a result on how to be consistent and to 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 try to to be better. Yeah, and I mean, hopefully we're recording this on Friday. By the time this comes out on Sunday, hopefully it's a second win that we're going to be talking about on this show. Yeah. Like, for people that don't know you or for people that haven't seen the under-23s play or listen to you talk... How would you describe your coaching philosophy? How how would your ideal team basically play? So my coaching philosophy is uh, uh, team first. It's if you want to summarize it. So what does it mean? That the organization of the team, that the 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 structure of the team, the way that the team play, the team principle, the team tactical principle are the real leader of the team. I firmly believe that uh, an individual cannot shine uh, individually if he if he's not in a very high organized team. Uh, so uh, I don't have. Well, I actually I would say you can play whatever. That's what the thing that I say also to my academy coaches too. You can you can play whatever style of the football you like, as long as highly organized. That's the only time that I'm gonna become very annoying when you don't work on your principle, when you don't work on your organization, and when don't you ask yourself, what would, would I do in this situation or this situation or this situation? Because that's the utopia for the coach, to know everything, to know everything. In terms of general playing philosophy, 
what I like is to normally is to have a, a kind of a very uh, zonal approach when we defend, highly, highly zonal. So I don't like the man-to-man marking. I don't. Li- I, I like to have uh, to be in control and to be a very compact team uh, all over the field uh, to be zonal. And when we have the ball, uh, I like possession with purpose. So uh, we don't need to make 700 passes to be a great a great team. We 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 need to make we need to make the uh, I would say necessary amount of passes in order to create goal chances. I I love the sound of that. I loved your your Christmas tree formation last week as well. That's one of the formations I've always been a fan of. And from watching the under-23s play, I, I know you like the attacking football and organisation is, is clear to, to see there. I mean, that game against the Tigers, you went down a man and you were still so organised and still able to get attacks going. Just the last couple of things... Talking of the under-23s, obviously your role before getting this, you were director of methodology and you're the head coach of the under-23s. It's such a, a tough part of the organisation just now of getting these young guys, these guys coming through minutes. And I know there's guys out on loan now and under-23s have been just travelling around playing all these games. The 19s are going to be going into the Fraser Valley League starting next weekend. I mean, the way forward, I know you might not have the full say on this, but we know there's this MLS Reserve League finally coming into fruition again next season. Is that the way forward for, for the, the club and the, these young guys to, to have this second team actually play in meaningful matches and competitive matches? Uh, we need a league. We need a league for sure. That's, that's a must. Uh, if you ask myself, uh, if you ask me, uh, what's more important for a young player? Uh, to have Pep Guardiola as a coach or to have a really competitive uh, league to play for? Is to, le- is to have a, a competitive league to play for. Because that's the only way that, uh, 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 that, that, that a player can develop, that also the organization can see if the players are good or not. Uh, and uh, it's the only way basically where you can uh, invest on players and not gamble on players because that's what basically not having a second team force you force you to do you gamble on players when they are 17 18 giving them a contract to some of them and to some of them you don't and uh, you hope because uh, while if you have a second team they play in in a professional league like MLS 2 is going to be hopefully and um, so it, we, we can really test the player for 20, 25 games. We can really test the player if he's ready for the next step. Because the philosophy should be only if you're good at the previous step, you should go to the next step. And uh, I think that uh, the MLS2 can be a great, great, great uh, improvement for the U23 lads because they're going to be tested every game against the other uh, guys that are are trying for a professional contract. So, and, uh, you know, I I loved the the previous model when the second team was in the USL. I really loved that. Me me too. Uh, And, uh, but of course, uh, that's, that's that's another story. In any case, we need a league. Either is uh, 
I don't know in the future if CPL will allow the the second team to be there or uh, it's going to be MLS 2. The league is fundamental. Yeah, and good quality and good testing. I mean, we won't get into all this just now because this is a whole other discussion I'd love to have with you one day. But the the under-19s, like going into the Fraser Valley League, to me, I don't see them getting tested there. But obviously, they have to have a league to to play in. There's a couple of strong teams. Other ones seem to have dropped out now. So I guess we'll see how that goes. But fingers crossed, everything gets underway with this MLS 2 next season because it's very, very much needed. Thank you so much for your time today, Vanny. It's always a a pleasure chatting to you. And I'm delighted you've got this opportunity. Looking forward to seeing what you do with the team and chatting to you some more down the line. Thank you, and uh, see you tomorrow. See you soon. Yes. Okay. Ciao, take Mike. care. Bye Thanks bye. so much, Fanny. Ciao, bye. take care. Whitecaps interim head coach, Vanny Sertini there. Lots of fun chatting to Vanny. He's a character. I really enjoy chatting to him. He's a great guy to, to have around with the Whitecaps, and... Whether he continues as head coach down the line, which you've probably got to think is is unlikely, he will be involved with the under-23s and director of methodology, and he's a great guy to, to have at the club. I do want to talk about one thing that he said there, Gideon, and it's like just about his coaching philosophy. So he likes his teams to be aggressive, he wants them to move the ball quickly, but organisation to him is the key. The one thing that really pisses him off is if he puts a team out to play in a certain way, and the disorganised. I'm sure he had some choice words as we talked about at halftime because it was a very disorganised way, but it's kind of what we need. He likes zonal marking. He likes an attractive, aggressive style of play, and it seems to fit what the Whitecaps have just now. And I'm quite excited to see what he can do with this team down the stretch. Yeah, it it kind of harps on my earlier point about MDS and and not getting that result if it was after halftime, like, he knows these players and not probably not as good as MDS, but you know, he wasn't with the coaching staff this year and the first team anyways. And it just seems like he's played this system, you know, the entire year with how comfortable he is throwing players on and, you know, maybe not in their most comfortable position, but they find a niche on the pitch like Caicedo did and Dahomey getting the assist and the Godoy goal. So he, he's finding ways to win. And I don't know what it is about him, but I just love his coaching style, his air, just the way he talks, like the way he talked to you in his interview, just so relaxed talking about his background in Italy. And you just like to see that, like he's fun off and on the pitch. He's so animated and that really gets the players going. Cause you saw how excited he was after the game. You know, oh yeah. Jumping was around and yeah. yeah. So it, it, you just love to see that. And I think is for the players after a tough start to the year and a tough last week, they've, you know, with the coaching change anyways, he's, is really exciting. I mean, his enthusiasm, it's infectious, Steve. And I wanted to do a chat there, not so much talking about him going into this position and like playing and everything like that, but just to get people to get to know him a little bit and talk about his background. And I mean, he's come through, he's never coached at a high level. Sixth tier in Italy has been the highest team that he's coached. He was an assistant in Serie B and got that team promoted as, as an assistant, and obviously an assistant in MLS. But the fact that for, I think it's about seven, eight years, he was a coach's educator in Italy, and then with the USSF down the States, he's got his pro license, so he knows the coaching game. 
this is now it's it's almost like playing football manager, I guess. Now he's got the chance to actually do it with real players and not just teach the coaches about it. Yeah, it's basically like the uh, the old adage, like he's he's basically uh, trying to he, he in the past he's taught, and now he has to put it into effect. Mm. And how 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 that is the thing is he's the. The problem is, is that he's probably learning that co- players aren't always don't always listen to the coaches, and how to get that through. So he's getting some technical. Yeah. It's like um, when you go on a training course, you're always told at work this is the best way to do things. But reality is, there's other things crop up that well, how you know uh, to do it isn't always the way that it can get done. And Zach, Zach can probably attest to this. It's like when you get those parental uh, books that you read on how to raise a kid and everything, and then you actually get a kid. And that, and it's not the same as the books, so it's it's very similar to that. Like honestly, like mm. the, these these players are basically like babies, um, on and you have to like <laughs> organize them and figure out how to the best to raise them and put them get out the, the shaker and everything. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and, and I, I guarantee you that, that that you're saying you were talking about a previous thing about the organization. Don't tell me that MDS didn't want organization and stuff like that. Oh no, and the he, players clearly, clearly he weren't getting. He was going to get through the players, and so and the, the first half of this Austin game was the same thing. You saw the same thing where they tried to get it organized and they they weren't doing it. So it's basically the whole thing of what they say: don't yell at your kids, don't yell at your kids. Uh, that's not the way to raise them. And then you end up yelling at them, and then they finally kind of fall into place. So it's 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 very similar to that. I would I would put parallels. A good insight there into the Pander household. <laughs> what about the oh, no, I, ones that run away? No, <laughs> no, I just yell right off the bat. I just start yelling at them. Like, I, I just I, yell at like, other people's kids. It's fine. It's, it's it's like a pregame. Like I just start yelling at them in a pregame before he <laughs> even gets to the point. I mean, the thing is, Zach, there was a lot of pressure on him going into that game against RSL and Axel as well because it could all have gone tits up and folk would be like, why did you make this change? Why is he taking the team? So that bought him a little bit of time. And getting the second win now has bought him even some more time. I think the general feeling that I can gauge on social media is he's got everyone with him. He's got the backing. He's got them all on board so far. Well, that's because he's won both his matches. Yeah. And on top of that... um, I think what he's done is a few things that supporters, pundits, you know, journalists have wanted wanted the previous coach to do: be a little more flexible, make yeah. you know bigger changes within a match, that kind of, and do things tactically a little more differently, uh, a different approach to substitution. Like, there's a few things that he's done that people have been just like, you know, chomping at the bit for, and he's given it to them, and they won, and they won. Um, so I think I think he's done enough to yeah. There's lots of people who are really really happy with what he's done, and um, obviously it's a very very small sample size, but it's it bodes well for him, you know, for whatever he's going to do in the rest of the season with Vancouver and then down the road as well. Yeah, I mean, who knows? He could go on a big run with them, and then that makes the, the yeah. role very interesting. What do you do then? But the problem is here is that you're talking about like being bold in your substitutions and taking players off when they're not performing well. The thing is, is Mark DeSantos was with this team every day. So he, he knows that he can't, he has to be careful with them and he has to not like put them down. Whereas uh, Vandy knows that he might not be here next year. So he's just going to play it out and, and just see what, what comes. Like he's not, he doesn't have any 
uh, loyalty to these players. Like he's trying to get results. And that's the thing is when you have a full-time coach, you got to play the political game yeah. where you're trying to see who you're going to upset by like, would he have pulled Bruno Gaspar off at halftime? Who knows? Maybe he goes, I want to give him another. Bruno Gaspar. Yeah. Obviously clearly he wasn't doing that before, but he would like a player like that. He would have given him another 10 minutes in the second mm. half because he wants to see if he can pull himself out of it and see if he can, yeah. he can get them back on the right track. And I whereas mean, Santi, Sarti, uh, Vanny Sartini doesn't have that, uh, connection to these players. He, if he doesn't like a player, he'll take him off because he knows he's going to go back to wherever he's is before. I mean, what, what I'll say in defense of Mark is like he wanted the team to play a certain way and for whatever reason, they, as you said, Steve, they just weren't playing that way, whether they were incapable of it or whether it was the wrong kind of players or I, I don't know what it was. But my criticism of Mark, and I've said this to him, is like the lateness of substitutions that he made yeah. and and that ability to, if things aren't going right, do you drastically change it? And then you, you see the likes of like the loyalty to players. As you said there, Steve, Vanny's come in, he's got no loyalty to any players. He's putting the best players that he thinks can get the job done, like Youngworth. Gashbar, that one didn't quite work out, but that, that's kind of well, how it's gone. Dropping size Caicedo. <laughs> Like the thing is, Gaspar, he put that in there because he really had no other choices. At oh, the yeah. Time. It, it was him or Godinho, really. I guess you could have stuck Godoy at right back. So many right backs. I'll play a 3 5 2 or something. Yeah. yeah he, have he, like eight right backs. <laughs> no, he did have options. And I, I, I think we, when we were talking last week, I think, Michael, about were there players that other people within the organization felt should play, potentially, specifically the the new stats people, the overhauls or whatever, like who felt like, you know, we brought in these guys to play in this, in the system that we all agreed to, and they're not getting the time. I think Gaspar kind of felt like that, but he was obviously just awful. Yeah. It might <laughs> yeah, still take yeah. him a bit of time. Ed. Again, Gaspar, I'm Gaspar. The thing is, is I'm, he's never been known for defending. Even when he came in, people said that he's not a defender. He's yeah. He's in a, cause we, we thought we'd have him and Ali tearing up the wings when yeah, we exactly. brought them in and, yeah, I, we have not seen the best of him clearly, and I don't know if we will get to or whether this might be a loan that doesn't work out when you've got a young guy like Javain Brown doing so well. Oh, it's it's a done deal. He's not coming back again. There's, there's no way they can bring him back after having Javain Brown. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. But anyway, hope you enjoyed that chat with Vanny. Obviously, one burning question, well, maybe a couple, but the main burning question that we didn't ask him there, does Vanny Sertini fancy a chocolate digestive? Say you're sitting at home and you decide to have a hot beverage. What is your hot beverage of choice? Tea? Coffee? Something else? Not coffee. Espresso. Not coffee. The only way to drink coffee is espresso. Ah. So if you're having your, if you're having your espresso... Do you have a sweet tooth? What would you have with it? Do you have like a biscuit or a cookie or do you stay away from those things? Uh, I, I, I don't have a particularly sweet tooth, but if I have, if I have to do it, I, I like to pair my espresso with, you know, I can make a, a little piece of chocolate, black chocolate uh, was 75% of chocolate, those kind of things I like. But when I tell my wife that, she'll be delighted because that's hers. That's her favourite choice. I, <laughs> I've slowly started. Like I like the traditional cappuccinos now, the eight ounce. Ooh. 
Um, because now when I go to anything bigger, I'm like, oh, that's way too milky. So I'm I'm slowly <laughs> getting down to maybe having an, an espresso just as a shot. Okay. I haven't quite got there yet, but fingers crossed one day. <laughs> so if, if you if you've got your chocolate then and you've got your espresso, do you dunk your your chocolate into the espresso? Uh no, no. I like uh, I like to do drinking and eating separately. So that's the thing. I, I I've never been a fan even for the putting cereal in the milk. We, even when I was a kid, I I never been a fan <laughs> of that. <laughs> Excellent. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Vanny Sartini there, not fancying a chocolate digestive, but a little square, a 75% dark chocolate. Not dipped in his espresso either. Got to have it separate. I like the man, he's a character. But that is it for the Whitecaps chat. We're turning our attention to the international stage next. We'll be back looking at Canada versus the USA after this. Hi, I'm Ryan Gold, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome ladies and gents, let's begin Enter into a world of world that's too grim We're sin cast in, cast out of the scene Hold a cast in addition, my mission is no dream, it's a nightmare Right here, set a right here A new kind of word for your ears, a strike for your Last year, a bright year, a head by a light year From constantly putting to coffins with Mike's dear Drew, how you doing? You ain't looking too good You should have moved on by now, but you're misunderstood Just do tall level, then you have to bring it back Remind these little punks, how you sound on a trap? I'm like that, hitting like Injecting a smack Vocal dripping through the needle Like treacle It's all for My people were no free But we're sending it pure evil Let's say so We ain't leaving you jack Straight jacket They say I'm out in my heat Straight jacket Never ever paid for a beat Straight jacket Yeah I find them a key Straight jacket Yeah I'm straight jacket Straight jacket Say that I'm out in my heat Straight jacket Never ever paid for a beat Straight jacket Yeah what I find I just keep Straight jacket Straight jacket Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Artist of the Month for September here at AFTN from Edinburgh, Scotland, Word SOS. And that is a song from his 2013 six-track concept EP, Straight Jacket. That is the title track. It's a, an EP set in an alternate history where magic was proven to exist in the year 1899. The use of sorcery spread throughout all facets of society and changed the social and technological development of the world. It's a great EP. It's free to download on Bandcamp. Word.bandcamp.com Check that out. Check out all his other stuff on that as well. Support him. Download his latest stuff. Give him some money. He's also available on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere that you get your music. Ah, magic. Tell you what was magic tonight? All Out. AEW, the wrestling. My only disappointment was it was on the same time as the Canada-America game, Steve. And I'll be honest, I had the football on my laptop at the side. I was fully focused on All Out. Absolutely tremendous what they're doing. We won't spoil it for anyone that might want to watch it down the line, like Zach. He's eager to get home and get that pay-per-view. But what a show. What an ending. What a company. Yeah, it's it's fun to watch some uh, people like like actually caring about people and doing it the right way. 
and kind of have people at the right spots. That's all I'll say about that. Yeah. Something else, though, that was exciting tonight was the America-Canada game. Well, in phases, I've got to say, I find the first half a little bit boring, a little bit of a chess match. It was the 18-12 derby. Do, do we have a name for for Canada-America as a derby? Zach, no. Us know. No? Well, I mean, people call it different things, but I think 18-12 derby is fun. Yeah, I'll go with that, because Canada won that one. Didn't win tonight, but came close. Uh, Maybe had chances yeah, but- to do it. Yeah, but if if there was social media back in 1812, the the messages from Americans would have probably been about the same, oh, even though it was a draw. Yes, <laughs> it finished one all. First half, a little bit cagey, a little bit of a chess match. Opened up at times. Second half was where all the excitement came. We'll get into to all of that in this part, and look at what happened in the rest of Concacaf, and also look elsewhere in international football uh, a crazy thing that happened today down in Conmebol but America Canada a packed Nashville really packed Nashville very pro-America obviously not many Canadian fans down for that the lineup for this one Zach now we spoke about it on the last show would John Herdman play a slightly weaker lineup with his his kind of eye on the big El Salvador game on Wednesday as as being the the must win three pointer, and there were some changes to this. I still think it was a pretty strong lineup though, and a very competitive lineup. Yeah, it was half the half the outfield players were changed, right? Five. Um, but yeah, I think I totally forgot. <laughs> I totally forgot that. And I don't know how. Um, how how uh, limited like there. The, the squad that faced the U.S. at the Gold Cup in the summer was missing key pieces, and I totally forgot about a few of them, mm. including I forgot that I know Alfonso didn't play in the tournament, but I totally forgot that. And um, I think that's one of the things that later today that had me optimistic for what could what could happen. But um, yeah, I think a significant change, and we just finished talking about Vanny Sartini and kind of how he's changed things for Vancouver and been willing to uh do things that maybe we haven't seen other people doing again i think one of the things that's been refreshing with john herman with canada is it's not just you know what to expect it's going to be the same formation same kind of lineup whatever you saw him take a very different approach with this game than he did uh the other day and um yeah it was a little bit more defensive I mean, I think that's fair to say. Well, you'd, I think you'd expect that for yeah. an away match, I mean, and especially down against the, one of the top teams in the in the region. Yeah, but I, I think, and at least John Herdman had always players to select from. None of them seemed to yeah. break COVID protocols. Do you, what was the what was it that McKinney did? Uh, they they haven't yet. revealed. They're not oh. going to reveal. Already, back back in April, he threw a party when he was with Juventus and broke pro. COVID protocols there that made him miss matches. You think you'd learn from that and not do something yeah, Mc- stupid again, but... Mc- McKinney and Instagram post did take full responsibility. Yeah. And yeah. so... Um, and he said he'd be cheering from the bench, but it, it, despite that, it's still a stupid move. Yeah, like, I, that, I, I, yeah. That to me was another huge boost. As soon as I saw that, I was just like... Yeah, oh, and then Zach that. Steffen was out as for failing testing positive for COVID as well. What was your thoughts on the game overall, Gideon? I think to be in the you know the second half and have the bench like John Arbman did at his disposal with David oh, yeah. Hutchinson, you can like 
I was okay with that to have that kind of depth. Whereas the gold cup game against the States, it was like, oh, you know, Cavalini goes off early. It's like, well, who do you have on? He had Hoylet and I think up top at, at one point with Buchanan or something like that. So I was very confident in the fact that they had numbers off the bench. Um, the, the one thing that concerned me was the back line. And I think that's obviously going to be something that Canadians are going to be worried about for the next little while. I mean, with mm-hmm. Victoria on the bench and Daniel Henry showing his white cap stays defending. So um, I didn't love the defending on the goal, but we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to that. But a uh, couple of greasy backdoor tapping goals and, um, yeah, it, it full deserved point, I think, but I think the three game, the three points on Wednesday against El Salvador is, is a, a must win. Is, is that what the kids are calling those kind of goals these days? Greasy? Greasy. Uh, he's down with the kids. We've got to go with what he says. I mean, the thing <laughs> is, Steve, end of the two games, we've got two points. I genuinely thought we'd have three, so we're only down one point, really. I, I didn't think... I, th- I knew we had a chance of taking something in this one, but I just thought the the US would be would be too strong. But I mean, overall, I think it was a it was a well deserved point, and they could have won yeah, it. They could have won it, and and the thing is, is that they made those substitutions in the uh, like in the seventieth, somewhere in the seventieth seventieth minute or something like that. Like after the seventieth minute, I can't, uh, let me look it up right now. Yeah, where they brought out uh, they they took off Davies where. I'm honestly thinking that if this is a two-game series, like a qualifying uh, like week instead of the, the three they have this time uh, because they have to squeeze everything in, uh, Davies plays the whole game. In those, like, you know, 13 minutes, 15 minutes that they had at the end there, he, was, I, I'm, he could be just as dangerous and, and taking out. Uh, like, if he had another 15, he could have easily set up another goal. I, I think if he's would, injured. Yeah, I think, I think yeah. Steve, it was it – was, the coaching staff's decision. I agree that that he 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 could have you know they would have wanted to keep him on if there was not another game coming up. But he's the one. Yeah, who, he asked to be. Yeah, right, he's right sitting away. up in the sub. They went for the game. They didn't just sit back and they were like even like take like at the point after they scored the goal even in the 65th they brought in uh, David for Laren and they brought in Buchanan for Hoylet. Yeah, and there was no drop off. That's the thing. They no, made these great to have those subs. And there's there's no drop off at all, and that's where it's encouraging that they had that uh, yeah. chance to to go for the game. Well, so when that's, I saw that's that, when I saw the lineup and I saw the bench, I thought, you know, if they're still in with a shout with like twenty odd minutes to go, got a great chance here. I w- I was a lot more optimistic than I was going into the game. I mean, the first the first half, side, we won't break down the the whole game like we, we do with Whitecats. We'll just touch on some of the big talking points. First half was KG. I mean, you said to me when we were chatting, it, it was an enjoyable game. It was and it wasn't because it was KG. It was very tactical. It was very chess match. Chances were at a premium. Now, Lauren had a, a great chance that you feel if he'd put it to the other side of the keeper, that was in the back of the net. But he went yeah. for the near post and the keeper managed to just stick his hand up. And then Pusilic got that one off the post. I don't know if, how much he really knew about it. He was kind of falling over at the time, but that's what a good striker does. Gets his feet out of the ground. Hope Brian White was watching that. And gets <laughs> gets that one off the post. But, I mean, I think the US probably shaded the first half, if we're being honest. Sure, but uh, Michael, for me, the match was engaging, obviously, because I have a, a horse in the race. It was the kind of match you, c- you couldn't take your eyes off of. I, I, I just couldn't. Like, I, well, know I did. You're I was right. watching AEW. Well, exactly, but you're Scottish, so it's okay. 
Um, I know but, Scott like, yeah, Arfield just... and David Witherspoon weren't playing, so I was like, eh. Yeah, exactly. No, but originally I was like, hey, Kirk, the game's on. We could maybe just like play a game while the game's on a, a lot, whatever. But like as the game was in the buildup, I, I just turned to him. I said, buddy, I can't. I can't play a game. We, we need to. And he's like, yeah. He's like, I don't want to play a game. I want to watch this. Ah. Um, Boy, and, you like Steve, so, actually. Were you, were you your usual fetal position or were you enjoying it? Oh, yeah. It? 100% fetal position. There's no game that, not for a while, it's going to be until I get out of that. The the, the chances you talked about, Michael, I really feel like, like I, I think I messaged you that if, if Jonathan David had been in the spot that Laren was in, I think he takes it first time with his left foot and puts it across goal, yeah. assuming an angle is there. Yeah. But It had to go across goal. It was awkward the way Laren opened his body so he could side foot with his with his you know the foot that it wasn't more directly on. It was kind of I, awkward. My my thinking is, and I haven't watched this back at all. I've only seen it the the once because basically I've watched the wrestling, taken the dog out, jumped on to do the show. But from my initial thought watching it was he expected the keeper to think he was going to go across goal, uh, so he thought I'll do the the little dink into the inside because he'll never yeah. be able to get to that. It, because Turner was moving like, like it looked like the Turner moved, and then he just kept his hand dragging at the end there. Yeah, that's Turner's been a revelation to... this year. Like, what a keeper he's yeah. turned out to be. But it also, it also just, I think his the way he worked his body, it let the keeper know what was going to happen. Yeah, like, and it was kind of, I don't know, felt slowish. But um, the the Pulisic <laughs> one, the Pulisic chance was really a, a not great defensive play from Sam. One of his few few not great moments in the match he had some really good moments in the match but the way he he tucked he tucked in and left the wide player open which legit was spun and got the the pass to and then you're right Pulisic is sort of falling down and doesn't I don't think knows too much about it but um yeah it, it was all in all it was it was a there was a lot to build on I think for Canada from that first half yeah the, the, the thing is with the layer and goal I just want to go back to that one more time because uh, I do have it on my screen right now um, and I, I noticed it earlier. I just wanted to make sure when he had that shot, he had two defenders in the middle of the pitch. So if he knocked it over that way, it could have easily been blocked off the line. So that shot and, uh. the, and the near post might have been the only chance for him to even get it on net or have a chance okay. at scoring. So, so there was there was like very little like opening on the middle of the pitch because he was right behind uh, whoever number 12 is, I can see, and number five. Uh, I think that's Brooks. Uh, he was in the middle of that pitch too, so it could have been easily cleared off the line when he shot it. So, yeah, very little opportunity. I, I saw that. I noticed that at the time, but I wanted to make sure about that. How were you feeling at halftime, Gideon? Confident or fearing the worst? I was confident, like I mentioned, with the whole bench situation, like the the US team missing Stefan and Gio Reyna as well from from uh, Dortmund as well as Weston McKinney, who probably two of their best, you know, three midfield players. So. I think it felt like the game in the Gold Cup where, you know, they go down early, obviously not in this game, but it felt like they could have gone either way for the States in the first half. And there was definitely, a, I think, a winnable chance late on when Buchanan broke down the right side and not sure if he should have passed across it. Same with David as well. So I think that game, that was a winnable game in the last 10 minutes. And I, I really loved how Herdman used his assets in that game to bring on, you know, Buchanan, David Hutchinson late on, Osorio. So, I hope, you know, I hope Davies is okay. And after, before halftime or going into halftime, I was confident that, you know, it'd be a point regardless of, of if it was a one nothing Canada lead or a one nothing U.S. lead that they would kind of come up out of it with, uh, with at least a point. I, I want to talk about an incident just before the goals came, just to get your thoughts on it. 
Now, if anyone didn't listen to the last show or they haven't really been watching this, there's no VAR at all in these CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers because only Canada, America and Mexico had the facilities to make sure that it, it could be done for every game. So, Because it can't be done for every game, it's not done for any of the games. I think if there was VAR, that tackle on Daniel Henry in the second half would have been a red card. Because he went over the ball, he stood in his ankle... Is that just me being a little bit biased, or what did you guys think, Zach? Was that when Henry was down for a while? And yeah. Was in some discomfort? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it didn't look it didn't look very good. I mean, from any angle for a Canadian fan, but I think it was a little bit of ill intent there. He didn't even get booked on the play, right? No. Yeah, no. that was kind of shocking. Um, I, I think it might have been a yeah. I could see it being a, a red, Michael, but I could also see you know. So I think it was like a judgment call. And when the ref didn't have a good look at it, obviously, because he didn't even give it a yellow. And I think it was at least a yellow. So um, I, I was I worried for Daniel the way that he was selling oh, yeah. it. I thought, oh, yeah. but, but Daniel is kind of, he has a bit of a Carlisle Mitchell about him. He goes down and you think he's dead at times. He kind of he makes rises. the most of all these. The way his left leg did bend, though, like, I mean, yeah, it, it really it went did not under look him. Comfortable. No, yeah. I was like, oh, so, knee or something yeah. had maybe gone or. I think we talked about this in the last show, though. Like, Canada's going to get CONCACAF somewhere along the line with no VAR. Oh, yeah. Like, they ha- like that's what well, they... Hopefully that was it. <laughs> and we don't have to talk about anything bad again. But it won't But it won't be. No. The, the goal came shortly after that, the, the American goal. Aronson got it. And it, I mean, what a team goal from a, an American's point of view. They moved the ball about beautifully, did mm. everything right, and it was a great finish, but aided by some sloppy Canadian play. Yeah, it and it started. It started with Kennedy. No, um, no. Yeah, it, it started it, with Alfonso. It was not a good throw-in. Well, yeah. whatever the case is, that's fine. But he, there was a bad giveaway too in the middle of the pitch. So, it, it, yeah, you're probably right. The 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 throw-in wasn't that great. It was probably rushed. But Kennedy with a like a really bad giveaway um, in a poor position, um, and then. And then it just, yeah, at that point, the U.S. just took over. And for me, I know uh, Gideon was saying Daniel Henry was to blame for that. The problem is if he did anything, he might have created an own goal. The guy that did not play that ball well was Borian. Borian, uh, if that was Max Krapoinet, Max would have gone across and denied that uh, cross from getting into the box with a hand or something with a punch out. And that that's what was missing here. That's, I don't think I don't think actually Daniel had a chance on, on I think that's why he didn't he didn't slide yeah. in or do anything it was too it was too far ahead of him yeah it was it would, would have been own goal uh, if he had done anything like put a foot in there it would have gone in the net anyways yeah but it really Alfonso's throw into Kennedy I think he forgot you know he's used to he's used to passing or taking throw-ins to you know Bundesliga center backs and I yeah, like exactly. I'm happy for him but yeah, he was passing it to a you know a second Bundesliga center back who made a really poor decision on on what to do with the ball and got got stripped right like it was yeah right away I was I was like right away I was like I was screaming at the TV I was like Kirk I was watch this like you could just you could just like sense it coming like it was, don't you ever do this yeah when you when you're playing for the national team you will not do that yeah. but from an American point of view I mean they they moved the ball so fast and it was the best bit of movement the Americans had the whole night and I I feared the worst after that I I didn't know if Canada 
would get back into it because I thought America will be like confident, Canada will leave gaps, and they might grab a second. I thought we'd probably get one, but I, I thought it might end up as a as a two-win American thing. But what do I know? That's why I was watching the wrestling. Kyle Laren, 62nd minute, just past the hour mark. Great fight back altogether by Canada, but first of all, the ball that set up the move from Sam Adekugbe, wow. Yeah. That was immense. To Fonzie, Fonzie cuts it into the middle for Laren, tucks it home. Beautiful goal, Gideon. Yeah, I, I have to, to thank DeAndre Edlin for his poor defending on this one. Um, came on as a sub for Sergio Nudes just at halftime and looked like, I don't know, a toddler out there in the pitch to to quote Steve. Like the way that you, we all know Davies can, you know, break it at, at pace at will, but just a vision across goal. And then again, you know, Robinson and Brooks were kind of dead in the water there as Laren was seemingly wide open there. It looked like a, a training ground tap in or when they have those crosses in the box and warm up and guys are just heading into the back of the net. So yeah, it, it was a, a, a simple goal for Laren to score. And I think after the first half, he was deserving one and um, full credit to him to get that tap. And I don't think he'd ever miss from there, but great yeah. setup by Adekube and Davies. I don't think we can. I don't think we can take for granted any any goal as being simple for Kyle Laren. Because I mean, in his time with Canada, I know he's got tons of goals now. He's way he up the chart. He's, like, he's got like a dozen this year alone, but he's missed some pretty wide open chances in the past. So I, I mean that really okay that that one yeah I yeah I don't know if he's had one that open this year but that that I've seen not anyways, this, the not this year yeah. but that first Before, the one gold cup he yeah. played in there was a few. And, and then, yeah. And then you talk about the the substitutions. That substitution of Kennedy for uh, Miller, uh, who yeah. made that initial pass out to Adekubi. That another sub, great substitution. That Miller like, again, and Kennedy. If this if this was a two game series, like a qualifying series, like Miller would have started this game. Miller would have yeah. been. Yeah. His, uh, I think you're right. Miller and Kennedy. No, that would have been nowhere but, though. I but also, that we didn't talk about it with the goal. That wasn't. Um, that wasn't a, um, from my understanding, that wasn't a Herdman tactical decision or whatever. Like Kennedy got hurt on the goal, which is partly why I think, yeah, he probably, which did. is partly why I think he wasn't uh, in, in in a better spot to defend it after mm-hmm. the giveaway. I mean, it, yeah, so no, I agree with that. Like he looked, he he looked in distress after the goal yeah. too. It wasn't because of the giveaway. Talking of substitutions, I mean, obviously the American response after the game was as measured as you would imagine it was. But their fans in particular in the media were just going on about the lack of substitutions till late on and why were they not trying to... It's like, they're spot on in that. It was kind of baffling what Berhalter was doing. This is a game... We talked about Canada dropping those two points against Honduras and how big that could be. America's start, they've got two points from their first two games and they've now got an away trip to Honduras coming up. They could soon be in a mess pretty darn quick after these first three matches. The squad management and the tactics by Berhalter was was bizarre. And Canada, I feel, should have won it. If they'd only listened to what Mark DeSantis wanted to do with Lucas Cavallini and have somebody in the six-yard box, at least one of oh. those balls that went flying across goal to the back post would have been tucked home. It's criminal not to have a guy running in to put that away. Yeah, but at least one of the times I can't remember. I think it was it was either Buchanan. Pro, or, I think it was Buchanan's. If it's or Larea, they, they should have put their head up and seen the wide open guys on the on the on the six yard box or on the penalty spot or whatever. Yeah. Like, 
there's two of them, yeah. Buchanan think, and Lowry had those chances. My, my thing in that would be, though, if you're Buchanan, you're expecting them to make a run. To, you're expecting that anticipation that the ball's going to come in there. Because I, I was a crap footballer. But what I was, was a really good poacher in the six-yard box. And I got a hell of a lot of goals in the six-yard box in my time playing. And it's because I anticipated the ball's going to go there or it's going to hit off somebody or the goalkeeper is going to have a deflection and you're in the right place to just poke it home. There's something, other other than our hairstyle, there's something else we have in common, Michael. And and that's where, for the Americans, I know I don't want to speak too long on the Americans. I was very surprised that, I know he's a young guy still, uh, but Ricardo uh, Pepe, uh, not uh, seeing any time in these first two games. I don't know if either. I don't know what they're saving him for, but he yeah. he's shown good form with FC Dallas. And if you yeah. put him in with this kind of uh, like elevated lineup in the U.S. team, maybe you you get something even out of him. So that's surprising that. They, they, but I'm okay with it because that means they're not winning the games. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, I can't. Uh, in no reality can I see uh, the U.S. missing back-to-back World Cups. But but one can dream. I don't know. I mean, like look at the other results tonight. Jamaica nil, Panama three. That's a shock to me because I thought Jamaica might have been a bit of the dark horses in this to 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 get in the top three. They've got the players that they can turn it on. It was two first half goals and then one with eight minutes left for Panama in that one. Costa Rica nil, Mexico one. As I said in the last one, just get Mexico to just beat everyone apart from Canada. That would do it nicely. Yeah, made hard work if it a penalty a minute into first half stoppage time, but it was what got them the points. But not great for Costa Rica. And then El Salvador nil, Honduras nil. I think right. that's that's great for Canada. Yeah. And how that leaves the the table after the first two games: Mexico out in top six points, Panama second before. Yeah. I did not see that coming. Early days, of course. Canada, though, we're, we're in the third. We've made it. Yeah. Two points from two. Then Honduras, US, El Salvador on two. Costa Rica on one. Jamaica, no points of their own accord. Yeah. The thing is, is people want to make a th- thing about Canada dropping those points, obviously, that, and it was disheartening to see those p- points drop. But only one home team has won a game this, this, so far through yeah. these first eight games. That was Mexico over Jamaica. This so is going to be amazing that, how this plays like, out. Like we'll look a little bit at else maybe look a little bit at El Salvador and Honduras, but if you look at their stats for this game, they dominated possession with Honduras. They seventy thirty, so they were going for this win, but they only created one shot on target through seventy percent possession. So that's not, that's almost American like there yeah. with with that. Honduras stats, though, so. picked up two road points now, so yeah. I mean that's interesting. The game's coming up on Wednesday: Canada, El Salvador, Costa Rica, Jamaica. Panama, Mexico, Honduras, US. Now, the the Canada El Salvador games are four thirty kickoff, and Honduras US is seven thirty. That's the two games I'm going to be avidly watching. I'm looking forward to. I don't know if Honduras can get a win there. I know that might not be great for Canada in the grand scheme of things if they pick up three points. But it'd be so funny and the meltdown, Gideon, online from American fans. Oh, I'll be, I'm I'm there for that. Yeah, I know. If if they want to Jamaica the uh, World Cup, US really need to improve the, um, you know, the just a, as we've talked about before, the squad management was poor. I think having Josh Sargent, who's a Premier League player, come onto the pitch for Pfaff or whatever his name is. I hate to you know use that 
terminology, but that's his name anyways. But like it, Greg Berhalter's just tactics were not ideal. I mean, missing McKinney and Stefan and Rayna and what have you. Like, I just think if they don't win against Honduras and they go into November's three games and maybe don't win one there, I, I think Berhalter's job will definitely be on the line. And You'll get pre-fought too. <laughs> Hey, he could and be the next Whitecaps coach. He's got MLS experience. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, if they can't beat Honduras and they go into the next round of matches with maybe getting one to three points, it's it'll be a tough road to to make the World Cup again. It's like or Greg, if they can. I've got bra- bad news for you. Uh, you're sacked. I've got even worse news for you. You're going to Vancouver as the next head coach. <laughs> I, I I personally think that though, even though uh, you'd love to see Honduras pull out something. Either a draw or a USA win is what Canada needs at this point. Uh, they can't have Honduras pick. They already picked up two points. You don't want them picking it up. Yeah. It, realistically, that would not be good. I, I was trying to explain that to Kirk today. We were looking at the scores at halftime. He's like, oh, Mexico's winning. We want them to lose. I was like, uh, yes, in one sense, we do want them to lose. But in another sense, if they win all their games, except for against us, that might be helpful. Yeah, and he, but he was like trying to come to grips with that. We want as many draws as possible while all this kind of shakes out, really, as well. Oh, lots of draws in Mexico winning is the ideal scenario as long as Canada can get the job done. So that game's coming up on Wednesday. We probably won't do a post game for that with the Whitecaps game being on Friday. I just last little bit of international talk. I have got to talk about the Brazil Argentina game today, <laughs> the World Cup qualifier. That was One game. just. But, yeah, yes, the the training so we, thing on the pitch as it ended up that was just we, like batshit crazy. Did Weston McKinney hold a party for some of the Argentines? <laughs> <laughs> if you want the full timeline, check out a Twitter thread by at EIF Soccer, and yep. it's just absolutely amazing. In short, and Visa, an organ from Brazil's health ministry was alerted that four of the Argentine players had apparently, they're saying, lied about having been in England in the last two weeks. Despite these players having played in front of like hundreds of millions of fans around the world in, in games in the Premier League, not quite sure how they wouldn't know, and they were meant to then quarantine when they went in Brazil, but they didn't quarantine, and then the Brazil's federal government negotiated with the Brazil Football Federation and Conmebol to give an exemption, and Visa were like, no, we are not taking that, we are doing what we want to do, and then they were going to arrest the players after the game initially, but then they, they didn't agree to that, and then, cut a long story short, they just stormed on the pitch to arrest the players mid-match, well, I was going to say mid-match, right at the start of the match, and then all hell broke loose. Argentina locked himself in the locker room. And they got a police escort out of it. I don't even know what's going to happen. But the game was officially suspended. What, what do you well, make of that? Well, the players did get away because they showed a uh, picture of them on the plane. Oh, um, well, that's good. On, on, so they did get away. It was like the 28th post in that timeline. Um, and the, uh, so it's crazy. The thing is... Uh, the the most ironic thing is is this is a uh, uh, organization that's looking for, towards the health of Brazil, yet look at the way they've dealt with COVID over the over this past year and a half, not very well. So it, it, it's odd to me that they here's where they decide to draw the line, 
and uh, put their foot down. It's exactly what I thought. It's like that country has been an absolute shit show with how they've managed things. And it's like, oh, for Argentina players, we've got to make an example of them. Yeah, but there's no yeah. love. There's no love lost there, right? So, no. in one sense, you can understand. It's like which who's... which players? Which players was it? I I, I mean, Martinez, oh, uh, Celso, Romero, and Escudia, or something like that. Yeah, Escudia. Oh, I'd only heard of two of them. So, yeah, I wasn't overly familiar with all four of them either. But I was like, just absolutely bizarre situation. I don't think FIFA's going to look kindly on this because, as you know, with FIFA. They don't like government interference, at least publicly. So um, there, there is. I saw somewhere else on Twitter that uh, they said that the the NVs or whatever they knew about this about two days ago. Yeah, and they even went to the hotel yesterday. You know. Maybe it was just a brainstorming session at work. How can we make ourselves more relevant and have better recognition? I know. Let's storm a football match. <laughs> let's stop the national team from. Yeah, I mean, I I don't mind pitch invasions. And it ties in nicely with our wavelength theme for this month of Football Violence Awareness Month. There's lots of pitch invasions in the, the old days for that. And that's how we're going to end the show. We, we've had a, a a very European feel with our music, with an Italian band kicking off part two, Scottish rapper kicking off part three. And for our wavelength song this episode, we're going to Spain. A band called Non Servium, which means no servitude in English. And they're a Spanish band from Madrid. And this is a song from the 1999 album Orgulo Obrero, which means Worker Pride. And this is Hooligans.
Spanish band Non Servium there with a song from 1999, Hooligans. Continuing Football Violence Awareness Month, get your ribbons, wear your little bands and your wrists, all that kind of stuff. But that is pretty much it for this episode of the AFT and Soccer Show. So just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online and anything that you've learned this week, Gideon. Well, I haven't learned a whole lot because that's how it usually goes on these shows. But um, Young I'm people today. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I've, I've enjoyed it. And you can find me at underscore Gideon Hill on uh, the Twitter sphere. Why would you want to? And Zach, if we can find you online, anything that you've learned this week? Uh, for me, you find me on Twitter at Zachary AM. And I found out that um, Gideon's mom's name is Nancy. Yeah, it's, it's good to know that. Steve, anything that you've learned this week? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Whitecaps Beat. And uh, one thing I learned this week is it's sometimes you want to get pulled off at halftime and sometimes you don't. It all depends I, on how weak your groin is. It's like before the Whitecaps game this week, Caitlin gave me a turkey hand pie from Save On Foods. Delicious. Highly recommended. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. You can read our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. Give us a follow on YouTube, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada and on Instagram at AFTN Soccer. And what I've learned is AW is magnificent. I didn't really learn that. I knew that already. Check them out if you haven't already. But that is it for this week's show. We'll be back with another one soon. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care. Enjoy your turkey hand pies and mourn their caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.